As we behold the world around us, it is easy to perceive the hand of a Creator who ordered all things perfectly. Nothing in this universe happened by chance because the one behind it all is a God of order and organization. He has revealed to us that angels, who live in the realms of the heavens above, work harmoniously, and the more closely we imitate their harmony and order, the more successful will be the efforts of these heavenly agents in our behalf. If we see no necessity for harmonious action, and are disorderly, undisciplined, and disorganized in our work, angels, who are thoroughly organized and move in perfect order, cannot work for us successfully. They would turn away in grief, for they are not authorized to bless confusion, distraction, and disorder. God's people who have embraced the truth in its fullness find themselves in the same position as did the early Adventists in the 1850s. They share the same faith but need to come together in order to work successfully in the Lord's vineyard. Indeed, it has become evident that without some form of organization, we'll remain but independent atoms, creating confusion and preventing the work from being carried forward successfully. The Lord's army must yet again be organized upon the true foundation, following the blueprint that Christ himself has instituted. Organized to finish the work. All things by prayer and supplication, let us bow before the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, I thank thee for the wondrous privilege to open thy word, to receive instruction of thee. And as Father, as thy child, I come before thee. And it is thy children that we come to thee to seek wisdom and instruction. And Father, my prayer is that thou wilt glorify thy word, magnify it, and make it honorable in our sight. I pray that thy Holy Spirit will fill our hearts, lift them heavenward. May our minds be centered upon the subject at hand. May thy heavenly angels be present to strengthen our minds, to quicken them, that they may be attentive and retentive to the information that is shared. I pray thy blessing upon the message, and I pray also, Father, for thy grace for the messenger. All I grant and ask is that thou wilt grant unto him that he may glorify thee. For this is my humble prayer. In the precious name of my Lord and Savior Jesus, I pray. Amen. As Brother Mike mentioned, the title for today's talk, or this subject in particular, on the topic of organization is Coming Out of Babylon, Pioneering Organization. Often when we think of coming out of Babylon, we think of it in a doctrinal sense, maybe even a physical sense. But today I want to present coming out of Babylon from an organizational perspective. Not simply physically removing ourselves, but what does it mean to come out of Babylon, looking at it in the sense of order, discipline, and organization. So with that in mind, the first thing that we need to do is understand Babylon. You simply can't come out of something if you don't know what it is. What are we to come out of? It would be inappropriate to call anyone out of anything if they don't know what they're to come out of, nor what they are to come into. So let's begin by defining Babylon. Now remember, we're looking at it from an organizational perspective. So what I'm going to be sharing is going to be in the light of order, 
and discipline and organization. And the text that I want us to consider is Genesis chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 1 and verse 6. And this is going to be the foundation, the principle that we're going to be building on in this message. Now, those of you who are familiar understand somewhat the principles of organization. Aside from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, Genesis chapter 11 affords us the only other example of organization in the Bible that would come before perhaps the New Testament or the other books of the Old Testament. It is the next in line of organization. And it takes place at perhaps one of the most well-known events in the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel. And I want us to read what the Lord has to say about this organization that took place at the Tower of Babel. Verse 1 says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And if you skip down to verse 6, the consequence or result of this is brought to view the importance of this statement is shared with us by God in his own words. It says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And what he says after this should cause every one of us to, to our hearts to skip a beat. He says, And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. They were organized. They were one. They were ordered. They were disciplined. They had the same language. Their words had the same meaning. When they communicated with one another, there was no breach in communication. There was perfect understanding, perfect communication from top to bottom. There was perfect discipline. Everything followed through. And God said, because of this, everything they set their heart to do will be accomplished. Do you see the power of organization? God understood that they were organized and they would accomplish their purpose if he didn't confound it. And so God confounded their language. He disorganized them. He caused so that they could not communicate any longer. With the communication broken, they were long, no longer speaking the same thing. Their doctrine wasn't the same. And because of that, we see another principle that the prophet Amos brings to view. He says, can two walk together except they what? Be agreed. You see the reason why people split, the reason why we have divorces, why churches split? Well, it's because they're walking two different paths. You can't walk together unless you're agreed. Walking together requires being on the same path. If people are not together and agreed, they won't be walking the same path, you see. That's the concept here. And at Babel was where God scattered them. They went their own directions. The result of the confusion, the disorganization, was they walked different paths. They were not united any longer to the benefit of God's people. For had their mission been accomplished, we wouldn't be here today. God has a purpose for organization. And you see that purpose from the very beginning of the Bible. It's there for us. And God is helping us understand what Babylon is from an organizational perspective. There's perfect order, perfect communication, 
People are of one language and one speech, thus bringing them into perfect unity. It's required. It's not a nicety. It's required for unity. I want to share a couple of thoughts from the pen of inspiration. This is taken from the Review and Herald, October 12, 1905. Just so we can kind of get an idea somewhat of how our pioneers viewed organization and some of the words that are connected with it. You're going to notice a few key words that have been repeated often in these messages you've heard today. And they're going to be repeated again in connection with organization. Let's read a couple of paragraphs, paragraphs 8 and 9. They read, There was order in the church when Christ was upon the earth. And after his departure, order was strictly observed among his apostles. And now in these last days, while God is bringing his children into the unity of the faith, there is, what's that word? More more real need of order than ever before. You mean in, in the days of Old Testament Israel? In the days of the New New Testament church? There's more need now? That should get us to think. She continues. For as the Lord unites his people, Satan and his evil angels are very busy to undo this unity and to destroy it. Are you beginning to see why it's more needed? The devil is busier than ever to destroy what Christ is trying to build. And he does it by causing disunity, disorganization. It continues in paragraph 9. The author says, It is Satan's studied effort to lead professed Christians just as far from heaven's arrangement as he can. Therefore, he sometimes deceives even the professed people of God and makes them believe that order and discipline are enemies to spirituality, that the only safety for them is to let each pursue his own course, an independent spirit. But if we see no necessity for harmonious action and are disorderly, undisciplined, and disorganized in our course of action, angels who are thoroughly organized and move in perfect order cannot work for us successfully. Did you catch the words associated with organization there? They turn away in grief, for they are not authorized to bless confusion, distraction, and disorganization. Now, there's a word in that last sentence I want to bring out. Authorized. God is their author. That tells me that God does not bless disorganization, distraction, disunity. He cannot and he will not. And the angels will not. And if we want the blessing of God's Spirit working with us and among us, we need to heed the counsel that is given, brethren. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Order. There the Apostle Paul says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, or literally as it reads, higher authorities. For there is no power or authority but of God. The higher powers that be are what? Ordained of God. That word ordained doesn't simply mean laid hands on. 
Sometimes we, in an ecclesiastical sense, think of ordination. It's put in place. Put in a place in connection with another. That's what ordination is. Connected, together. Organization. God ordained the governments of this world. He instituted them. To give us an example of what organization is and how it is to function. All authority comes from him. The authority that's vested in the governments of this world comes from God. And if we fear the government of this world, or the governments of this world, we need to remember where that authority comes from. Remember what the beginning of instruction and knowledge is. It's the fear of the Lord. Again, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17 says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain in all the churches. Same verb. Just as God has ordained in the world, so are we to do in the churches. This is Paul's admonition to the Corinthian church. See that order is kept. See that everything is done decently, with discipline, with unity, with organization. This is what God desires. And so, he says, ordain in how many? All the churches. That's not a suggestion. That's a divine command. That is the word of God. And God is calling upon us, those who have ears to hear, to hear what his spirit is saying to the churches. Are we understanding a little bit of what Babylon is from an organizational perspective? It's one thing to come out doctrinally. It's another thing to come out physically. But it's something altogether different to come out of confusion, disorder, and disorganization. That is just as much Babylon as false doctrine. God looks upon it with just as much disfavor as he does false teaching or false practices. This is very important to God. And he wants it to be very important to us. So understanding Babylon from the perspective of organization, I want us to turn our attention to what it means to come out. Because we are told to come out, aren't we? Come apart from that. Be separate from that. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The first instance where this is used. And this is why I chose the title I did. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. God called Abraham out. He called him away from his familiar friends and family associates. He called him away from his familiar country to a place where he had no idea, but God would direct him. You see, Abraham was called out. And Abraham became the pioneer of coming out of Babylon. 
He pioneered it for us. He showed us what faith, walking with God by faith, means. Abraham pioneered organization. With him was the beginning of it, because it was the beginning of God's people on earth after the flood. And that is why the church became known as the called out. Because that's what the word literally means. Ecclesia means the called out. We are called out of Babylon. That's what a church is. Those who are called out of confusion. Called out of disunity. Into the exact opposite. God is reorganizing us together. It was God that disorganized rebellion and apostasy so that he could organize his people while the world is distracted with its own desires and pleasures and lusts. God's people are to be uniting. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 17. This principle is brought to view at the very beginning of the gospel dispensation. Paul, in his letter, second letter to the Corinthians, says, Wherefore, come out from among them, talking of the world, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. At the beginning of the gospel work, when Christ was organizing his church, the commission was, come out. Come out from among them. Be ye separate from the world, from its teachings, from its practices, from its confusion. Come unto me, and I will unite you. And at the end, the very close of the gospel dispensation, the very last message that heaven sends to earth is this same message. Come out. At the beginning and at the end, God says, come out. The same work is to be accomplished that was accomplished at the beginning. Just as we saw in Brother Whitehurst's message regarding how God worked in organizing the church of the apostles. God wants to do the very same thing in our day. So the same message is to be presented to his people. Because notice, this message is not to the world. No. Come out of her, my people. The message is to us to God's people who are still in confusion, who are still in Babylon. The message is to us. And we see this played out through history. I just want to give you several examples so that you can see how this principle was carried out throughout the history of the church from the time of Christ and his apostles down to our present time. We see it beginning with the early church from the time that Christ ascended to heaven, the time that it was officially established between 31 34 AD to sometime around the 320 or 4th century AD, the church was organized, perfectly organized, and we saw some of that organization earlier. And because of that organization, it was highly effective. It was pictured, as in the book of Revelation, as a man sitting upon a white horse with a crown symbolizing victory and a bow going forth conquering and to conquer. Thus is pictured the success of the church 
under the organization of the apostolic church. It was highly successful. It carried the gospel in the east as far as Mongolia and China and to the west as far as Europe and Britain. It was taken to the world by a relative few because of their organization. They were united under one banner. And when that church fell into corruption itself around the 4th century, God called another people out. They saw the corruption coming in, and so they separated from their brethren. And their numbers began to grow. And as their numbers grew, the corrupt church saw them as a threat. So they began to persecute them. And they were driven to the mountain valleys. And so they became known as the valley dwellers, the Waldenses. Because they were driven from their communion. They were driven from their churches by those who were corrupting the church. They were forced to separate. And as they did so, they organized. They had the pattern that had already been set by Christ. And they followed that pattern and organized themselves and became the most highly effective missionary and evangelical church throughout the Dark Ages. They held the lamp of truth alight for centuries because of their thorough organization and discipline. If you're interested, read the history of these people. It's full of lessons that we can understand when it comes to this theme. But when they fell prey themselves after centuries of persecution by the papal church and crusade after crusade, when their numbers were literally decimated, it was as if the light was about to go out. But God raised up a people to carry forward what had been begun. We know them as the Protestants, those who gave the protest to the corruptions in Rome, And they started strong in spirit. God was with them, and they made mighty strides, but they came short. They failed to come up to where their predecessors had come. They didn't separate fully from the wine and teachings of Babylon, from its practices and customs. And so they fell strife to division and disunity. And I want to share with you a statement that will help us understand why this is. Before I get there, because of their disunity, because they failed to accomplish the work that God had committed to them, he raised up another to finish that work. You see, if the Protestants had accomplished what God intended, there would never have been a Seventh-day Adventist church. Never. God raised them up to finish what the Protestants ceased to do what they stopped doing. And that is found in this statement. This is written by John Byington. Those of you who are familiar with him, he was actually the first president of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. And he wrote this in 1856 when organization was being agitated among them. He wrote this in an article, February 7, 1856. He says, Martin Luther and, the other, and other reformers arose in the strength of God and with the word and spirit made mighty strides in the Reformation. And if you're familiar with the history, you know how true that is. But it doesn't stop there. He says, The greatest fault we can find with the, with the Reformation is the reformers stopped reforming. And what greater fault can I find? I can find another, no other fault. Everything else, it was almost perfect. 
The Spirit was with them. They had great power. But they lacked the true power because they were disunified. They were split into factions over petty things. They didn't fully come out of the customs and practices of the church, and so they squabbled among themselves over these issues that should have been totally put aside. And so they ended up dividing. And God had to raise up a people from among them, called out from among them, to finish that work. That's you, and that's me. They failed, as I mentioned, to come fully out of Babylon. They failed to unite together on the Bible. They failed to organize themselves together. And that's why we have hundreds of denominations today. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, ultimately the Seventh-day Adventist Church became what the Protestant churches were intended to be. That's what God wants us to be. The protest is not to cease. The reform is not to cease. It's to be carried forward unto the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform that work unto the day of Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing work, and we are to carry it forward in step, as Brother Whitehurst brought out, together with a common tread under the banner of Christ. With all this that I've shared so far, I want to ask us a few questions. I want us to think about the answer in our mind. You don't have to answer out loud. I want you to think about these questions and answer them in your own heart. Question number one. Were the early Christians, Waldenses, Protestants, and SDA pioneers justified in coming out of the corrupt religious institution of their day and reorganizing upon a platform of truth? What then of those who in our day are separating from the fallen and corrupt religious institutions? And lastly, can we justly repudiate any of the pioneers' doctrines while justifying at the same time their having separated from the apostate religious bodies that held to those beliefs and establishing a new organization? Can we condemn their doctrines while we justify them having separated from the apostate institutions that held and taught those doctrines? It's a question I want us to answer fairly, because we must if we're going to understand organization and the necessary need for it. There's a statement made in a manuscript, 1905. It says, we cannot now enter into any new organization, for this would mean apostasy from the truth. I've had this statement presented to me as a reason why we should not organize. Because any new organization would be apostasy from the truth, apostasy from that institution. But is it? You see, given as it is, this statement is powerful. It would lead me to conclude that we ought not to organize, because to do so would be apostasy. But given as it is, it's given out of context. 
And when you read it in context, you get a very different picture. And I want to paint that picture for you. So here it is in context. After the passing of time, that is October 22nd, 1844, God entrusted to his faithful followers the precious principles of present truth. These principles were not given to those who had had not, no part excuse me, in the giving of the first and second angels' messages. Did you catch whom God chose? They were men of experience. They were ones who had a part in giving the message, not just the theoretical understanding of it. That applies to us today. We need to have more than just a theoretical understanding of these three angels' messages. We need to have an experiential knowledge of them, giving them in word and in life, if we want God to commit these truths to us. Continuing, they were given to the workers who had had a part in the cause from the beginning. Just as when Judas fell and they were to choose a replacement, they chose one who had been with them from the beginning. So it is to be today. This is a part of order. It's a part of discipline and it's a part of organization. This is how we are to function. But it continues. It says, those who pass through these experiences are to be as firm as a rock to the principles that have made us Seventh-day Adventists. They are to be workers together with God, binding up the testimony and sealing the law among His disciples. Those who took part in the establishment of our work upon the foundation of Bible truth, those who know the waymarks that have pointed out the right path, are to be regarded as workers of the highest value. They can speak from personal experience regarding the truths entrusted to them. These men are not to permit their faith to be changed to infidelity. Faith is another word for creed, by the way, belief. They are not to permit their belief to be changed to infidelity or unbelief. They are not to permit the banner of the third angel to be taken from their hands. Elders, pastors, ministers, you have an obligation. Christ has committed to you his precious banner, and it is not to be taken from your hands until you're dead. They are to hold the beginning of their confidence firm unto the end. Now you notice I highlighted this last part because it strikes, it's the context, the immediate context of the passage I quoted earlier. Here it is. The Lord has declared that the history of the past shall be rehearsed as we enter upon the closing work. Every truth that he has given for these last days is to be proclaimed to the world. Every pillar that he has established is to be strengthened. We cannot now step off the foundation that God has established. This is the context. Now she says, we cannot now enter into any new organization, for this would mean apostasy from the truth. You see, stepping off the platform of truth is starting a new organization. When you step off the platform that God established, you are in apostasy. You are starting a new organization 
because a new organization requires a new building, and a new building requires a new foundation. Every builder knows that. You see, he's not saying that we are not to enter into new any organization, but that we are not to step off the platform of truth, for that would be apostasy. And beloved, that's precisely what the nominal Seventh-day Adventist Church has done. And we are not to do that. We are to stand firm. We are not to let that banner pass from our hands. It is a sacred trust that God has committed to us. And we ought to guard it and carry it forward with our lives. And I want to move to the last section. I want to wrap this up. Because organization has even a greater purpose than simply finishing the work, even though that's the ultimate end. Organization serves a purpose, and I want us to touch upon that purpose for a moment. No Webster defines organization this way, just so we understand what I'm talking about. The act of forming or arranging the parts of a compound or complex body in a suitable manner for use or service. That is organization. The Apostle Paul, under inspiration, defined it thus. This is organization according to God. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is organization according to God. That's its ultimate greater purpose. It is to serve. It serves to an end, not just to serve. Jeremiah Clark, who was one of those who was arguing for organization at the time it was being agitated among the Advent believers in 1861, characterized it in this language. He says, as well think of framing a house without tenons or mortises, or joints, as well think of laying brick without mortar, as well think of binding wheat without bands, as to think of any body of men doing anything to any purpose without order, without organization, without discipline. You see, it, it serves no purpose if it has no purpose. And this is brought to view in Acts chapter 6. Very well. You see, necessity is the mother of invention. And really, organization is, in a sense, an invention. And it's built upon necessity. And you see that time and time again, as was presented earlier. There was a need, a crisis, and the cure was presented. Organization. Notice it. It's Acts 6, verse 1. says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. You see, it was when their numbers increased 
that there was a difficulty. There was a perceived neglect. Now, the spirit of prophecy tells us that it was a suspicion of neglect. There was real no purposeful or spiteful neglect. It was because the numbers were growing so great that they could not meet the need. They needed organization to meet this need. And so the result was organization, just as inspiration tells us. For in the book Acts of the Apostles, page 88, paragraph 2, we read this. The church was continually enlarging, and this growth in membership brought increasingly heavy burdens upon those in charge. No one man or even one set of men could continue to bear these burdens alone without imperiling the future prosperity of the church. There was necessity for a further distribution of the responsibilities which had been borne so faithfully by a few during the early days or earlier days of the church. And I highlighted this last portion because I want us to key in on it. The apostles must now make an important step in the perfecting of gospel order in the church by laying upon others some of the burdens thus far borne by themselves. A need. That need required it to be met. And in order for it to be met, that burden had to be laid upon others. Other men had to step up to the plate and take responsibility. Just as in the time of Moses, so it was in the New Testament church. You see, need creates organization. Not the desire for it, but a need for it. Organization is intended to meet that need. Letter 32, 1892. Sister White explains how that this same scenario was gone through by the pioneers. The very same situation arose among them. Notice her language. You're going to hear the same words, essentially, as was expressed by Luke in the Acts of or the book of Acts. He says, as our, or she says, excuse me, as our numbers, what? Increased. It was evident that without some form of organization, there would be great confusion, and the work would not be carried forward successfully. To provide for the support of the ministry, for carrying the work in new fields, for protecting both the churches and the ministry from unworthy members, for holding church property, for the publication of the truth through the press, and for many other objects, organization was indispensable. You see the same scenario? There was a need. Their numbers were increasing so that they had to organize better, more perfectly, in order to meet that need. You see, organization has a purpose, a greater purpose, and that is to meet the need of the church first and of the world second. Now, I have a question. What do you call a tedious, overly complicated, and generally useless organization entrusted with power? You know why? Because this organization is for organization's sake. It serves itself and not the people. That's the greater purpose of organization. If you want your church to be, yeah, tedious, useless, and ineffectual, then just organize for the sake of organizing. But if you want to follow God's plan, you need to meet the needs that are there. Amen. 
If you're not meeting the needs that are there, you're not organizing accord, according to the blueprint given us. There is a greater purpose, beloved. And I want to leave you with a couple thoughts as I wrap up. I want to share a couple thoughts from an earlier letter that I quoted where she says how that organization was indispensable. In the same letter, which if you have an opportunity, read the whole thing. This is perhaps a subject that she says more on than anything else. Organization was not more than, it was more than just indispensable. It was the foundation of what the church was able to accomplish. It's what made it able to do what it did, both in the days of the apostles and in the days of our pioneers. And it will do the same work today. God is no respecter of persons. God will bless today just as he has always. But as long as we follow his blueprint, God is strict. God requires us to follow that which he has laid down as he has laid it down. Not as we see fit. For there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but that way ends in death. We must do that which God has given us to do. Not as we think best, as we see fit. Here's the thought. Again, letter 32, 1892. This is taken from paragraphs 2 and 7. It is nearly 40 years since organization was introduced among us as a people. I was one of the number who had an experience in establishing it from the first. I know the difficulties that had to be met the evils which it, I'm going to put in parentheses there, organization was designed to correct. And I have watched its influence in connection with the growth of the cause. At an early stage in the work, God gave us special light upon this point, organization. Special light. Can you get more special than special? God gave them special light upon this very point. And this light, together with the lessons that experience has taught us, should be carefully considered. And in paragraph 7, she says this, Yet there was a strong feeling against it among our people, that is, organization. The first-day Adventists were opposed to organization, and most of the seventh-day Adventists entertained the same ideas. What has changed? You look in this movement today, who's for organization? The majority? Certainly not. We are facing the same circumstances that our pioneers did. And we have the same blueprint to follow. And if we will follow it, God will bless just as he did then. She continues, We sought the Lord with earnest prayer that we might understand his will. And light was given by his spirit that there must be order and thorough discipline in the church. That organization was essential. What does essential mean? That's right. You can't live without it. System and order are manifest in all the works of God throughout the universe. Order is the law of heaven, and it should be the law of God's people on the earth. I want to leave you with these thoughts. These are things that require our careful attention, our careful 
thoughtful and prayerful consideration. God has given our pioneers special light. Are we familiar with that special light? Have we been aware of that special light? Well, God can wink at our ignorance, but now you're not. Now you're aware of it. And so now a burden rests upon you. An obligation rests upon you. You are now aware that God has given to this people special light upon this very point for the purpose of meeting the need of the church and of the world. And when that need is met, Christ will come. So, having laid that obligation upon you, I want to make an appeal. I want to ask you, are you willing to commit to study the experience and testimony of our pioneers upon the subject of organization? And are you willing to put into practice their teachings on organization in your life? Is that your desire? I want you to show it with a raised hand. God sees your hand. Shall we bow before the Lord in a closing prayer? Dear Father in heaven, Father, thou hast seen our hands. Thou hast heard the voice of our hearts, those words that we cannot utter. And Father, thou knowest better than any of us our need. And I pray, Father, that thou wilt help us to meet that need. Empower us, increase our faith, strengthen our convictions, strengthen our arms, our legs, our hands for the service that is ahead of us, that we may organize, that we may finish the work that has been so nobly begun. We desire once again to pioneer organization, and we know they can only be done by thy spirit. For it will not be by might, nor by power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And Father, this is how we would have it to be. No other way. We want not that our name should be glorified, nor magnified, but thou only. That thy law may be magnified before the world. And we pray that thou wilt use us to this end. Trim our lamps. Teach us, instruct us, humble us, do whatever necessary to fit us for a place in this grand scheme. And I thank thee for hearing and answering our prayer. And we pray and do ask, all in the precious name of thy son Jesus, and for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth. Pioneer Health and Missions.